So guys, thank you so much for coming out tonight. We're going to be continuing on in our Christmas series, Royals. And if you missed last week, we started off the series with Royal Wedding. And what we talked about was the marriage between Christ and His bride, the church. Uh, We talked about how a lot of times we take for granted that Christ was willing to literally die for His bride. And so often, uh, we can't die to self. Um, We also talked about how we're supposed to love the things that Christ loves. And so we talked about looking through a filter of the five love languages to see if we're loving the church the way Christ might have us. Tonight we're going into our second message, and it's a message that's a lot more um, Christmassy, I guess you could say. Uh, It's more what you would expect for a Christmas service. We're going to be talking about the royal birth. The birth of Jesus. And uh, tonight I just want you to come into this message with open hearts and open ears. It's a story that most of you guys have probably heard, but maybe tonight you might hear something different. You might see something from a different perspective. You might learn something that you never thought you would learn about a birth of a simple baby. Before we get started, would you pray with me? Dear God, just thank you so much for this time. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here with friends, um, just to be able to worship together. Uh, God, Thank you for Courtney's voice that is just incredible, uh, and Chris's leadership, uh, leading worship. And God, I just pray for this time. 
Um, I pray that our hearts might be opened. Um, Lord, I just pray that the words that are spoke are all your words, uh, your truth. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless this service. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So tonight, the passage I want to start in is in John. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to it. If not, it's going to be on the screen. It's in John chapter 18, starting in verse 36. And it says, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came to this world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And so I want to use that um, passage of scripture as kind of the touch point as we go throughout this message tonight because uh, Jesus is making something very clear to us. Actually, three points. The first point is he is a king. The second point is that he has a kingdom. And the third point, that his kingdom is not of this world. Uh, Looking back historically, we have a lot of examples of empires and kingdoms. Now, I absolutely hated history in high school. I hated it in college. Um, So if there's a history buff in the crowd, you can correct me on this stuff. Uh, I hope that you will... You will if I'm wrong, but I studied, tried to, to learn about some of the history behind empires and kingdoms. The first empire was in uh, 1300 BC, the, thir- the first notable one that is, and that was the Assyrian Empire. The second one was the Neo, uh, um, Neo-Babylonian Empire. See, I told you I suck at history. And the third one um, was one more recognizable with the Egyptian Empire, and the fourth being the Roman Empire. And then we see hundreds of kingdoms and empires that rise, but then almost all of them fall. Uh, Even in our lifetime, we've seen um, these empires and kingdoms rise and fall. When we look at the Italian Empire um, under Benito Mussolini, or we look at the Japanese uh, Empire underneath um, the leadership there, we see these empires just crumble. And then you even get to the British Empire, And when you look at the facts of the British Empire, at one point in history, uh, they were the strongest empire in the world. They had 428,000 people, uh, 428 million people. I'm sorry, I'm really struggling tonight. 428 million people, and uh, that's nearly one-fifth of the world's population. And they covered their territories across one-fourth of the landmass of the world. Uh, So territories everywhere. They're actually known as... um, the empire that the sun never set on, because at all points in time, sun was shining on some territory. So you have to think about this empire as being so mighty and so big and so powerful um, from every standpoint, you know, economically, linguistically, uh, every area, but yet still, historically, this empire fell. Still, historically, we saw how they had to give back territories, and it just crumbled. And so researchers look to see what were the reasons why these empires and these kingdoms were falling. And uh, they came up with two key reasons. The first reason was a sharp decline of morals and of values in these kingdoms and empires. An example of that is in the Roman Empire. Um, We saw in the Roman Empire that these guys were sports fanatics. Now, I know a lot of, like, football fans who are Hude fanatics, but these guys loved watching gladiator fights to the point where they were throwing sand on blood just to watch another man be slaughtered. They were indulging on alcohol and pleasure after pleasure after pleasure, just being morally bankrupt. Uh, The second thing that caused kingdoms and empires to fall, researchers found, was corruption in the politics or corruption in the political leaders. 
I think that those two things are really important for us tonight. Understanding the concept of kingdoms and empires and the royal birth. Uh, For this reason, it tells us that a single leader, a single leader can rise up a kingdom or can cause an empire to fall to its knees. And that's important for us in this room tonight because it tells us that the single most important thing when talking about empires or kingdoms is this call for a royal birth is this announcement of a royal birth. And the reason why that is so important is because it's telling us who the king will be. It's telling us the direction that that empire or kingdom is going to go, the trajectory and the leader to see if that empire will either rise or whether that empire will come crumbling to its feet. Um, We see here that God is offering his empire. And um, a lot of times it's important for us to recognize to recognize why Christ was building his kingdom. It's important for us to see his purpose here and when he announced the royal birth. Because so often we think it's in Luke. Um, So you can look at the scripture in Luke chapter 1. It says this, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And so when we read that, we think, okay, this is where God determined that he was going to call out this royal birth. That he was going to announce it. Um, We see the announcement of the royal birth a lot when we saw the announcement of Prince George. Uh, In fact, 7.5 million people tuned in to watch this birth and to, to follow the facts Twitter set a new record with the number of hashtags per minute at 25,300 per minute. But before that time, um, before the time of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, um, these places would have this person called a town crier. And this town crier would stand outside the hospital or whatever the uh, place the queen was having their baby. And he would ring a bell. And standing next to him would be an easel and a picture frame with gold. And inside that frame would be all the information about the baby its weight, its height, um, its name, how the mother was doing after the birth. And so this part was so crucial. And so it's important for us to understand that um, when exactly God decided to call out this royal birth. And we read in Luke, and we think that that might be where it is, but in fact, it was 6,000 years ago in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. And you can read that on the screen. When, When God said to the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Sorry, the scripture's not up there. But the scripture is talking about how the serpent shall be crushed under Jesus' heel, and how his head shall be under his foot. And so we see this word, his, and his heel. And that person that they're talking about is Jesus Christ. So in the very beginning, in Genesis, God saw sin enter his garden. God saw his kingdom being threatened, and he knew he had to do something. And so what did he do? God called out his son. He made a royal proclamation for someone to be born, and that person being Jesus, who would someday crush the head of the serpent. The prophets followed suit, and we see that in Genesis chapter 22, where that proclamation was carried through the promise of the seed of Isaac. We see it in chapter 22 again, where that promise is carried through the seed of Abraham. We see it again in Micah 5, where this proclamation was made to the tribe of Judah. We see it again in Psalm 72, 
where it says that this person, this baby, shall be born and be brought gifts and be worshipped and adorned by a king. We see it again in Isaiah 7, where it says that this person would be born of a virgin. And so time and time again, we see over 400, 400 times that God is trying to tell us about this birth of this man, this baby, this God who is so irresistible, who's going to be so unstoppable and so powerful, and his name is going to be Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God is proclaiming that his kingdom and his power is going to literally enter the world. And you see, what happened was when people started finding out about that, when other kings started finding out about this king to be born, they started getting kind of intimidated and scared. We read about stories like King Herod, who had all the people under three years old murdered off because he knew that what was coming was going to be more powerful than anything he had. It was going to be more powerful than any economic gains he might have, more powerful than any geographic uh, stability or location that he might have over an enemy. It was going to be more powerful than any political power he might have over his people. And that power was the power of grace. Because that day in the manger when Christ was born after that proclamation, grace entered the world for the very first time. And you know, sometimes I think when we talk about Christmas, when we talk about Jesus being born, and his kingdom coming, and what that looks like, we forget what grace is. And grace is hard for us to understand and wrap our hands around because we're very much a do, do, do society. We feel like we have to do something to get something. And God sees that, I think, and he says, you are a do, do society. Literally, that's crap. <laughs> and you're never going to do enough. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to do enough to earn this. So I'm just going to give it to you. You see, in the garden when Adam and Eve were broken, when they had stumbled and they had sinned, God corrected them like a father, a loving father would do, but immediately he said, how can I fix this situation? How can I fix this situation? And he sent his son into the world. That's why this whole royal birth is so important to you and to me. It's why it literally means everything. Because this idea of this baby being born of grace literally tells us that we are covered in it. Because God decided to send his son to die on a cross for you and for me so that we might have eternal life and build his kingdom. I know that around Christmas time, we need to learn how to give grace because people are literally crazy. I was in the store. Yeah, no, it's awful. I was in the store the other day trying to find Christmas presents for my family. And I literally watched this kid slug his mom in the face with a toy. And it was because she wouldn't buy him that toy. And then five minutes later, I saw them going through the cash register, and she was buying it for him. Uh, But I think that Christmas, whether it's just the spirit of the holiday or people have elf syndrome, I don't know. But they turn into little gremlins. Uh, Now, I love kids, but I'm really thankful I don't have any. I'm thankful that I can hang out with babies and then give them back. Um, But Christmas time just seems to perpetuate bad behavior. And um, so in order to combat that, a very evil man created this called the elf on a shelf. Now, I don't know about you, but that thing is demonic. It's the most creepy thing I've ever seen in my life. I can't stand them. Uh, Let me tell you about the concept of elf on a shelf, and you'll agree with me that this is just messed up. The concept is that this little doll watches your children while they play and they sleep and they go about their business, and then at nighttime goes to the North Pole And if your kids have been bad, they report to Santa that, and so he takes away gifts. And then the next day, he comes back in weird positions, doing weird things like this. (laughs) 
You see, honestly, I think that, you know, we look at that and it's hilarious. But that concept is just so weird and so messed up. And the problem is what's even more messed up than that is that so often as Christians, we look at God as elf on the shelf. We've got to kind of picture to demonstrate, demonstrate that. <laughs> a lot of times we look at Jesus as being elf on a shelf. Let me explain that. We just feel like God is waiting in heaven for us to fall, for us to fail, to go run and tell God he doesn't deserve that gift of grace because he messed up. And the problem there is that's so opposite of what grace actually is. Uh, Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. But now that I'm an adult, I have a better understanding of things. And I think sometimes we need to stop looking at the kingdom like a child. We need to start looking at the kingdom like a grown man or a grown woman. We need to stop walking around waiting for God to zap us with the bolt of lightning as soon as we mess up. Because that's not our God. That's not how he loves That's not what he was proclaiming 6,000 years ago in the garden when he said that he would send a savior. What he was proclaiming was grace and love and redemption. That's what he was proclaiming. You see, God is not an angry dad. His grace is not bitter or resentful. When I was getting ready for this message, I, uh, I started thinking about the last year of my life and, um, I just want to be transparent with you guys about some stuff. Uh, because I think it really relates to this. Uh, the last year of my life, I've walked through a lot of valleys. Um, and I've had peaks, you know, everybody goes through seasons of life. But I've just been in this haze almost. Um, and along the way, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I've fallen away and I've turned my back and I've closed my eyes to God so many times. And uh, the holidays are one of those things where you're surrounded by people who love you. You are uh, constantly being reminded of all the things that you're blessed with. And it's really easy, if you know that you've been screwing up, for you to start feeling really guilty. And uh, recently, I've just been feeling really weighed down. And I've been talking to my parents a lot. And finally, here in the last couple months, I've opened up to my dad. And I just told him everything, you know. And that's really hard to do, to look your dad in the eye and say, listen, this is where I'm messing up in life. This is where I'm getting it wrong. It's nice to be able to say where you're getting it right. Um, I've always been a person who just does more, that looks good, to feel better. Um, because I've always been afraid of disappointment. I've always been afraid of um, judgment. I've always been afraid of anger. And uh, i got to tell you, being able to look my dad in the eye and tell him all these things, expecting him to be angry, and him to look at me and just wrap his arms around me and hug me and say, listen, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about it? And be there to help me. I can't help but think that that's what God does for us. You know, so often I think we're fearful that God's going to be angry, that God's going to be bitter or resentful. But God's grace is bigger than that. God's grace is like that father who says, all right, son, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So if you've never experienced that grace, if you've never experienced what was born in that manger on that night in Bethlehem, I encourage you tonight to realize that God is offering that to you No matter what you've done, no matter how ugly your past, you're allowed to be real with him, and he's waiting for you to do that. He's waiting for you. So as the band comes back up to stage, I want to leave you with one last image in your head. In the Old Testament, 
there was a story, and it was a beautiful story about grace. And Moses was walking with the children of Israel. And the children of Israel had really just screwed up. They had totally blown it. And they started worshiping false gods. And so God was ready to just completely do away with them. Just do a clean sweep. But Moses stepped in between. And he said this. He said, no. He said, if you blot them out, blot me out also. So basically what he was saying was, if you get rid of them, get rid of me too. Get rid of me too. He stepped in between. And I love what he says in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. It'll be on the screen. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. It says, but now please forgive their sin. Now there's something interesting here. You see that dash? Nowhere else in the Bible in this sentence formation, nowhere else in the Bible is there a dash. But now please forgive their sin. See, I think the reason that there's a dash there is because Moses was literally speechless. At this time, the word grace wasn't invented. And grace is unmerited favor. Moses was asking God to forgive them of something that they didn't deserve to be forgiven of. I just think it's awesome that that's how big grace is. That's how big it is. You can leave one of the godliest men around absolutely speechless. And so, when trying to figure out how to wrap your head around this idea of Christ and him building his kingdom and him being a a royal prince born in Bethlehem and how we're supposed to respond to that in this Christmas season, you might ask, how do I take that? You know, how do I handle this? And it's weird because it's one of those things that you can't wrap up and you can't shop for on the internet can't wait in the line for on Black Friday for it. It's one of those things that you just have to receive. A lot of people think grace is an adjective, but I think it's a person. I think grace is Jesus. It's the best Christmas present you could ever possibly receive. In the Old Testament, when people would come before the priest to repent of sins with their sacrifices before Jesus. They would bring their best lamb. And the priest would inspect the lamb to see if it was worthy of sacrifice, if it was good enough. If it was, it would become the sacrifice. I think this is a really, really neat image for us now after having Jesus in our life because what happens is when we go to God, we have a perfect offering. God doesn't look at the person who's doing the offering. He looks at what you're offering up to him. And because Christ was born in the manger in Bethlehem, because Christ was grace in the flesh, and he died on a cross, because of all of those things, when God looks at what you're offering, he sees perfection. And it's enough. And he says, welcome home. So this Christmas season, I just encourage you to cling to grace. Maybe you've struggled to give grace in your life because you've always been a merit-based person. You've always been someone who you expect somebody to do something in order to get grace from you. That's not how grace works. Maybe give grace to your children, your wife, your husband, your parents in a way that you've never done before for no reason. 
Grace isn't something that can be earned, just given. And maybe you've never received the gift of grace in your own life. Maybe you're in this room and you're holding on to so much baggage and so much junk because you feel so unworthy and so unloved. I just want to tell you tonight that God wants you. His grace is big enough. When Adam sinned in the garden, his sin was no bigger than yours, I promise. But still, immediately, God acted, and he acted in saving grace by giving Adam Jesus. He's doing the same for you tonight. Would you pray with me? Dear God, just thank you so much for tonight. God, as we enter into this Christmas season, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the stuff. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the everyday and the flashy things and the things that look like they're of value and of worth. But Lord, would you just help us remember your kingdom? A kingdom that is uncorruptible kingdom that will not fall, a kingdom that's unshakable. God, as we think about your grace and what you've done in our lives by sending your son to be born in a manger for us, (laughs) sinners, God, would you just remind us of that grace and that love? Every time we start to feel unworthy or not good enough, would you remind us that we'll never be good enough? Would you remind us that we can never climb to the top of the ladder and that's why you climbed down? God, we humbly come to you tonight and just say thank you for your grace. May we be able to give it more fully and freely because of your example. You know, we talk about all of the kingdoms and empires that have fallen because of corruption and lack of morals. God, thank you that you are good and holy and perfect and constant and unshakable. Because in a season filled with chaos, in a season uh, maybe in our own lives filled with just confusion and struggle heartbreak and sin, God, you still see us and you love us just the same. Instead of being an angry dad, you look at us and you say, all right, what are we going to do about it? And you walk with us every single step of the way. God, thank you for not only being a king in our hearts, but for being a father. And Lord, I just pray that during this time, we would just reflect on your grace and what you've done in our lives. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So would you stand and sing during this song and respond however God's calling you. Maybe God's calling you to come and give back to what God's already given you. Maybe God's calling you to uh, come up here and just get on the altar and receive his grace for the very first time in your life. I promise you it's the most liberating feeling in the world to realize you'll never be enough and let that be okay because God is. Maybe you want to come up and take communion which represents his body broken for you and me and his blood which 
spilled on the cross to blot out our sins. Whatever it is, I just encourage you to respond tonight. Don't wait. Don't wait.